And today what we're looking at is how to diffuse anger in your marriage. But actually, this applies to all relationships. You know, how you handle anger with anybody could have been the title of, of today's message. Because in all relationships, you've got conflict. It's inevitable. And, you know, join the human race. Uh, conflict is inevitable, but combat is not. You've heard that expression, we're going to agree to agree, to disagree agreeably, you know. Uh, in every relationship, when you've got conflict, it's either going to end in a breakdown or a breakthrough. Either the relationship is going to be damaged and destroyed, or else there's going to be a breakthrough in communication. And when that breakthrough comes, then there's a new level of maturity and fellowship and intimacy in the relationship. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.29 that mishandled anger is one of the, it can cause enormous damage in relationships. In fact, it's right there in the, in your study notes up at the top. I put it in the Living Bible paraphrase. The fool who provokes their family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing left. And I think many marriages and in many families, they're destroyed because of inappropriate anger. So I want to ask you to do something today. I'd like you to treat this morning's message as a salad bar. Uh, so as you're, as you're going down, you're not, going to, you're not going to necessarily want to put everything on your plate. Uh, but somebody else may need it. Somebody else may want it. So you just don't spit on it and just you know, pass it by. And then I want to ask you to do one other thing. Listen for yourself. Uh, in, in my years of ministry, I know whenever you start talking about marriage, several things happen. Uh, uh, or uh, another thing that happens is people come up to me and say, you know, oh, I wish my husband, I wish my wife had been here to hear that. You know, uh, Today I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to just ask God to just speak to you and nobody else today about this subject. Okay. In fact, why don't we just pray together before we jump in to do that. And now, Father, we wait before your word. And we're here because the world doesn't give us all that we need. We're here because we need to have our sights raised and our spirits lifted by understanding what your priorities are for us. So would you help us in these moments to be honest with ourselves and to know that your love that's expressed in Jesus Christ that we just sang about will more than make up for our faults. May we receive new flashes of understanding and be open to your spirit. This area of anger is one of our most baffling emotions. And so I just pray that today uh, we'd be able to examine ourselves and how this issue relates to our relationships. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think most people fall into one of two camps. You either are a passive person, we're not going to ask for hands, or you're an aggressive person. When it comes to, to conflict or anger, you either resist or you run. One marriage author I read said that when God puts couples together, he puts skunks and turtles into the same family. And we all know what a skunk is, don't we? Because you know exactly where they stand. They let you know. And when they're upset, they tend to stink the whole place up. Everybody knows how they feel. On the other hand, you've got some people who are turtles. You know, When conflict comes, they just pull back into their shell. They withdraw. They become distant. 
and you, you kind of back out of relationship if you're a turtle. And so I guess the question is today, is there an alternative to that? You know, and the whole idea of this of anger management is not to eliminate anger, as Dave talked about earlier, because you can't. But it's to learn how to express anger in appropriate ways, in ways that are going to benefit you and benefit your spouse or benefit another person who you're in relationship with. And so I think this is absolutely essential for a healthy marriage. And one of the things that Kathy and I have noticed is that just about the time we got our relationship worked out, our kids turned teenagers. <laughs> and then we had to start all over learning about this new realm and, and have a new relationship to, to these things. So, so what do you do when you're angry? I feel a little sheepish stating the obvious. You have to admit it. Admit your anger. Stop denying it. Stop pretending. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, prior to the verse that Dave had the kids read. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. In your anger, do not sin. And I love what one translation says, don't sin by nursing a grudge. But, you know, there's a right way to get angry and there's a wrong way to get angry. There's, as my dad would say, an appropriate way and an inappropriate way. Anger isn't a sin. In fact, numerous times in the Old Testament, there are references to God's anger. And Jesus got angry. In fact, I think that if you never get angry, it means that you're out of touch with reality. You know. But there is a constructive way to get angry, and there's a destructive way to get angry. And there are some things that we ought to get angry about. Sometimes when you get angry, it means I care. Sometimes anger means an expression of love. Sometimes anger says, I'm not going to stand by you and watch you waste your life. You know. And if you have the idea that a Christian should never get angry, then that's not only unreasonable, that's unbiblical. It's not how you get it's It's not that you get angry, but it's how you get angry that makes it a sin or not. And the King James says, be angry, but sin not. So, let's go back to Ephesians 4.25. Paul writes, put off falsehood, stop lying about it. In other words, don't deny it when you're angry. You know, you're angry. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You know, I know you. I'm not angry. You know, I can tell you're angry. No, I'm not. You know, uh, anger is not a sin, but lying about it is. So, you can't work on it until you admit it. That's a problem. So, that's the starting point. I read... Uh, quite a while ago, that uh, one of the main causes of depression is anger. Larry Crabb describes depression as frozen rage. He says that anger gets stuffed down and it takes itself, you know, into your body, into the form of depression. Now, I don't want to play doctor here because there are many things, I think, that contribute to depression. But evidently, one of those things may be anger. And maybe the question is, what am I angry about and that I'm not willing to admit? You know, the issue is not how to eliminate anger from your marriage, but how do I appropriately express it? And in order to do that, you have to understand anger. Now, I think there's different ways of expressing anger. I, I came up with about ten, but I'll just give you a few. One is the underhand uh, person who throws those little darts, those little sarcastic jibes, you know, and then when you draw back, they go, just kidding, just kidding, you know. And that those are slippery people, and they're hard to pin down because they don't like to admit that what they're really doing is expressing some form of anger. And then you got the martyrs. You've probably been around some of them. Every time something happens, they say, you're right, it's my fault, I'm always wrong, it's me, you know. 
I believe that the more that we understand what the reasons are for our anger and, and why we express ourselves the way I, we do, then I think the more we can get control of this area of our lives. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom is what gives him patience. Uh, Proverbs 14.29 indicates that a quick-tempered person will do foolish things. So I think I need to ask myself, why am I angry? You know, what does this situation say about what, you know, why am I so upset about it? And when you begin to understand what's going on in your heart, then I think you can begin to resolve some of the issues with anger. Now, you've probably noticed that arguments rarely start with the real issue. Speaking from early years in our marriage, most of our arguments always began over really dumb things, surface things. And many times, those weren't the real issues. And most of the time, I found that, by the way, this is a little confession on my part, that one of us had to say, that's it. You know, we've got to stop and talk about this. There's a problem here, and we need to deal with it. But then comes the reaction you can guess who that reaction came from. When you're told that something's wrong, usually it's not a pleasant point in the argument, especially if you're a turtle. And unfortunately, that's where most people stop. They don't get to the resolution phase because they're just too upset. We can't decide what needs to happen to change the situation, and so we don't even start to resolve it. And I, I just say that one of the biggest issues here is spending the time that we need to spend to work through the issue and get to the resolution phase. I think for me, generally, I just want to get to the bottom line. And this is kind of me, just tell me what it is you want me to do and I'll do it. What's the argument about? Just tell me. You know. And even though I know that the process is as important as the bottom line, and sometimes patience has to come with understanding, and as I've grown in my understanding of Kathy, I think she knows that I'm not against her, and I know that she needs more time to express herself or for me to, to listen because understanding is the key to having patience. What I've learned about anger is how mysterious and complex and multifaceted it is. I, I read a book by Neil Clark Warren called Make Anger Your Ally. And he says that one reason that anger is so perplexing is that it tends to divert attention away from a more basic feeling or emotion to, that just is too painful for us to deal with, and it transfers it someplace else. It's rarely, he says, the first emotion that we have. Anger, he says, is a secondary emotion. It sits in the chair next to us. And so what happens is uh, we get certain feelings that we don't like. And anger sits in the chair next to us and says, you don't like feeling that way, do you? And we say no. And so anger says, here, Give me those feelings and I'll take them for you. So it's a secondary emotion, not a primary emotion. Let me just try to explain that to you really quickly. When you're a child and you're growing up, you depend on your, on your folks for everything. Food, shelter, bathing, designer jeans, iPhones. And, uh, so, but as your children grow, they still need some type of dependency on us, not so much for physical things, but emotionally. They need affirmation, and they need approval, and they need affection. And so, you know, we're trying to offer our kids this sense of acceptance and security and stability and the sense that they're being protected. Now, 
what happens is these very emotionally dependent kids, when they're denied some of those really important needs, what happens, let's say, to a husband, instead of receiving affirmation and approval, he receives scorn and ridicule? What happens instead of receiving love and affection, a wife is intimidated or neglected or even abused? What happens when instead of receiving a sense of security and protection, a child grows up every day feeling vulnerable and exposed and frightened and undisciplined and even abandoned? Well, there's going to be some deep-seated feelings of disappointment, intense disappointment. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be fear. There's going to be grief. There's going to be loneliness. And those feelings are so painful and they can cause so much trauma in us that what happens is we take those feelings and we bolt them over to anger. A second emotion. And so that feels less vulnerable and we don't hurt as much and now we become powerful and aggressive. And that second emotion is that serious kind of anger, that kind that can undermine a whole life. And it can either be turned outward or turned inward. Now, I want to give you what I think are five primary, and these aren't the only things, uh, emotions that we transfer over to anger. The first one is when we feel unaccepted. You know, when you get rejected for who you are, or you feel that you're compared to somebody else, or you get made fun of, or you get criticized, uh, you tend to transfer that over to anger. You know, and I hope you'll never make the mistake of comparing your spouse to someone else. You know, that is so devastating because it makes you feel like somebody is being held up to you that, you, that, that diminishes you and makes you feel unacceptable. To them, it's rejected, rejection. And, and then we get angry when we feel unappreciated. You know, when other people take us for granted, when they, they don't value our effort or they don't notice the work that we've done. By the way, I wanted to just notice the work that our, our worship team did today. We came in here today. We usually have a sound system board that's all ready to go. We have a, a overhead thing, everything. And they had taken everything out for the, uh, for the play that they're doing here. We, we had to set up a portable sound system on a chair back there. We didn't have enough outlets for all of our microphones and stuff like that. So I want you guys to know I appreciate all that you had to put up with today in that respect. But, uh, you know, we feel like everything else is more important than we are. Anger says, you don't like feeling that way, do you? And we say, no. This is a struggle, by the way, in both marriages, both ways. When you feel that job, hobbies, like the video that we saw earlier, friends, extracurricular activities, almost everything comes before you, then it can make you feel unappreciated. But, but I know for a lot of men, we feel unappreciated when the wives give everybody else attention, and then when it comes to us, they have nothing left. And that says, you know, anger says, I'll take those feelings of being unappreciated. The other way is when we feel unsupported. You know, like people are working against us instead of working with us. Or when they don't share their load of responsibilities. Or we feel unprotected. When situation in our lives seems so out of control, we don't feel like our spouse cares about our needs. We feel vulnerable, and that makes us unprotected. And then anger says, give me those feelings. But when you feel uncertain, if you feel like you can't trust each other, you don't know if your spouse is telling you the truth, anger is always right there with its arms outstretched saying, come to me. 
And the bottom line is hurt and frustration and fear are usually beneath almost all those angry situations that come up in your life. You know, if I, if I say to you, you make me mad, you're probably going to get defensive. But if I say to you, that hurt me, or I'm afraid when you talk like that, or I'm frustrated with this situation in our relationship, then you can begin to talk. You know, as long as I put my spouse on the defensive by telling them how mad they make me, then they're not going to understand what is at the root. And then when I try to express my feelings in a real way, we can actually talk about it. And by the way, I see this with, with kids a lot. You know, I hate you. You make me so mad. Why would you do that? Well, maturity helps us to express true feelings. I feel hurt. I'm afraid. I feel neglected. And I feel rather certain that there are some of you who are sitting here today who, either a husband or wife, who says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the situation we're in. I'm afraid of my feelings. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm, I'm afraid of how you'll react. You know, what you've said or done has hurt me. You'll never reach those breakthroughs until you have the courage to actually begin talking and then look at the deeper things that are in your heart that you've already transferred over to anger. The rest of verse 4 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And you want to know why? Because it says, if you do, you'll give Satan a foothold. You know why the Bible says don't go to bed with unresolved anger? Look at that next verse, Job 18.4. Because you're only hurting yourself with your anger. James 1.20 says, human anger never achieves or produces the righteousness that God desires. In other words, uncontrolled anger is, is going to work continually in cross-purposes with God's activity in your life. You're going to want to grow in Christ, and you're going to want to grow in your relationship, but excessive amounts of, of anger are going to undermine every relationship, every activity, every pursuit in your life. In Neil Clark Warren's book called Make Anger Your Ally, he has a bit of a different take on anger than, than I've just given you. He defines anger as a physical state of readiness that prepares us to act. He says the physiological changes that take place when we get angry is that adrenaline starts to, to course through our bodies. More sugar, he says, is released. Our heart begins to beat faster. Our blood pressure rises. The pupils in our eyes dilate and widen. And you get in this highly alert stage. Now, I want to tell you something. This is good. Because without it, you'd be totally vulnerable to the world. You know, we, we wouldn't be prepared to protect ourselves. We wouldn't be able to get ourselves out of the way of an oncoming car if we didn't have those physical reactions inside of us. So he argues that anger prepares us and leaves us very powerful. The problem is, when we use that very powerful secondary emotion in the wrong way, it can become dangerous. In fact, have you ever noticed the only difference between the word anger and danger is one letter, D? You know, Anger expressed inappropriately can destroy lives and jobs and relationships. Statistically, do you know that most murders in America are committed by people, either family members or friends, uh, who, who knew that person for that one tiny moment, they allowed that powerful emotion of anger to take control. And by the way, bottled up anger, it's like when they bury toxic waste and five years later people start getting sick and they find out that the toxic waste has leaked and now it's infected the water and now people are getting sick from it. I want to tell you something about, about anger. It's toxic. 
And if you bury it, I guarantee you, it always leaks. It comes out later on. It comes out in your body. It comes out in, in, in terms of your health and your attitude and your relationships and even in your faith life. Now, Proverbs 29.11 says, A wise person will keep themselves under control. You know, while a fool gives full vent to his anger, a wise person keeps himself under control. And a mark of wisdom is the ability to control your anger. So how do you do it? I think the Bible gives us four practical ways that I just want to share with you quickly this morning as we close. The first one is I've got to realize the cost of my anger. Proverbs 29:22. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Now, just have any of you ever gotten into trouble because of your anger? One translation says people with hot tempers do foolish things. I read about a guy who ran his car into a snowbank, and then he couldn't get it out. He was so frustrated, he took out a pistol, and and, uh, he shot all four tires. He took a crowbar, and he smashed in every one of the windows. And I just think, wow, remember the cost before you lose your temper, you know. And um, you can see me afterwards about some great golf temper stories. But... uh, uh, the fool, right back to where we started, who, who uh, provokes their family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing left. And I think many marriages are destroyed because somebody didn't count the cost before they opened their mouth. So think before reacting. Stop and think before you speak. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in gear. James 1.19 teaches, teaches us that if you're quick to listen and slow to speak, You'll become slow to get angry. And the problem is we jump the gun. We jump to conclusions, which is some of the only exercise Christians get. But we say things that we later regret. You know, According to Proverbs 29.11, you are stupid if you give free rein to your anger, but you're wise if you wait and let it cool down. And then we need to release our anger appropriately. Ephesians 4.29 is an important verse. I, I remember... Uh, Back in college, I used to use this all the time uh, with the guys on our soccer team. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is profitable for building others up according to their needs that it might benefit the listener. So did it build up or did it tear down? Was it helpful or was it harmful? You know, how you say it and what you say will determine if it's appropriate or not. So I think you need to be brief. Get to the point. Be specific. You know, uh, don't just make general commendations. Be humble. Proverbs 13.10 says this, only by pride comes contention. Now, I used to read the Proverbs according to the day of the week. And my wife and I got married on the 12th of August. And so Proverbs 13 was the first day a full day of my marriage when I woke up and I had my devotions and it said, only by pride comes contention. And I remember underlining that <laughs> and putting the date because I knew it was the, you know, the day after my wedding in my Bible. I statements are better than you statements. You statements are accusatory. You always, you never. You know, I statements, you know, this is the way I feel. A wife comes stomping mad, you know, because her husband is driving up the driveway and he's coming home late for work for the fourth time this week. 
And she greets him with an oozy round of shots, you know, when, when he comes to the door. Why don't you put a cot in your office, you know, or don't expect turn-down service with chocolate mints on your pillow here, but because after all, that's all you do is sleep here, you know. Now, what's going on when she meets him at the door? You'd say, she's angry, Einstein. You know, I'd say, I, I think we all see that. But what I want you to see is what's really going on. What was her first emotion? You know, what, what was she probably feeling before she handed that over to anger? Maybe some loneliness. Maybe some disappointment. Maybe some isolation or abandonment. Maybe some insecurity. Chances are she'd look forward to her husband's coming home all day. She was hoping he'd have, you know, some time to talk and have dinner together, some fellowship together. And, you know, why he didn't show up at the appointed time. Maybe she felt a little sad at first, and then maybe she felt unloved, and then maybe she thought, you know, I'm not treasured around here, and I'm an afterthought, and then maybe she felt devalued and put off. Uh, I don't think I have to tell you who are married how painful it is to feel abandonment or to feel put off or unappreciated by your spouse. And some of you know that those kinds of feelings are like battery acid in your stomach. You know, five minutes of feeling those kinds of feelings is enough for any of us to bolt over to the emotion of anger. Because once we have those feelings of anger, we take those hurt feelings inside and we just start focusing on what a rotten person that was and, and how bad they made us feel. And then we empty ourselves of all those uncomfortable emotions by spewing them out in the form of rage. So the wife winds up meeting her husband at the door hopping mad instead of meeting him at the door with a genuine first emotion, which probably was disappointment or sadness. You know, now, how do you think he's going to react? You know, human nature, if you're like me, you just tend to get defensive when you're under attack. You know, and you justify your lateness and you attack back. You, know, you tell somebody how inconsiderate they are for not understanding why you were late. You know, and then you... You know, say, why do you put such a big deal on dinner anyway? So it becomes a, you know, a vicious cycle. Here's some ground rules. First of all, don't compare. We talked about that. Don't condemn. Absolute statements are very dangerous. You always, you should be ashamed. You never, you know. Condemning never has motivated anybody to change. And Jesus said like this, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. So condemnation is not what we're all about. It's restoration. You know. And then don't command. I demand you do what I say. You know. Don't challenge. People make threats. You, know. you just try that and see what happens. I'll never forget that happened with my dad one time. He said, if I hear another peep out of you, poop. <laughs> I was a wise guy. But typically, what happens in marriages is people use three threats. Sex, money, or divorce. And those should be out of bounds in any marriage. You know, don't, don't condescend either or belittle or ridicule. Don't play historian. I don't know if you heard the story of the guy who was in the lobby at an alumni reunion, high school reunion, and he and his buddy... They ended up staying up and talking until about 3 in the morning. And the next morning, they saw each other in the, the lobby. And the guy said, hey, uh, how did your, your wife react when you came back to the room at 3 in the morning? He said, she got historical. 
He says, don't you mean hysterical? No, she got historical. She told me everything I've done wrong over 30 years of marriage, you know. So uh, don't, don't play historian. Don't play psychologist. Don't contradict. And by, by the way, that means sometimes interrupting in the mid-sentence, you know. I'm not saying that you can't disagree with someone, but just let, wait your turn. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to talk to a pouncer. Uh, they always butt in, you know. I went to the store. What store? Well, I went to Ralph's. What Ralph's? Ralph's in El Segundo or the Ralph's in Manhattan Beach? Well, I went to the Ralph's in, in Manhattan Beach, and, and I, re- I went with Ann. Ann who? Ann Roberts or Ann Jones? You know, don't, sometimes we, we just got to back off. And, and then the other thing is we tr- sometimes try to confuse. I, I think I've become a master at this. Change the subject. Bring up something totally unrelated to the issue at hand. I'll tell you who's a master at this is my son. When he was about four, I can't remember, we had a little birthday party for him, and it was raining, and we were going to this special jungle gym place, so I uh, had all his friends there. So I dropped him off so he wouldn't have to walk in the rain, and I said, you wait right here and don't move. So I went and parked the car, and then running through the rain, I left him there. And we're about seven or eight minutes into with all the other kids and doing the jungle gym and stuff, and Kathy says, we're David. All of a sudden, this lady brings him in from out in the street uh, because he was not going to move from where I told him to stay. So now he's a teenager, and I'm trying to discipline him on a particular issue. She says, don't you remember that time you left me standing in the rain? So uh, we, can, we can become masters at confusing what the real issue is, uh, bring up something totally unrelated. Now listen, no marriage is perfect. We all have faults. Even the healthiest marriages have arguments. Conflict is inevitable. And some of you may have tried some of these things that we've talked about today. And you just say, I, I, you know what, I just can't get control of my anger. And friends, I've got to tell you, this is not a self-help message. Uh, it takes more than willpower to do these things. It takes God's power to break through in terms of controlling your anger. And so you've got to rely on Christ's help. Look at this final verse, Romans 15:5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And if you want to live in complete harmony in your marriage relationship, each of you has to have Christ in your life and you have to have his attitude. Christ deals with the root causes of our anger. He heals the hurts and when he fills you with his love, it pushes the other stuff out. When I'm filled with anger, I can tell you this, almost anything ticks me off. But when I'm filled with the love of Christ, almost nothing irritates me. When someone puts pressure on you, whatever it is, what's on the inside is going to come out. You squeeze a tube of toothpaste and toothpaste is going to come out. You squeeze an orange and orange juice is going to come out. You squeeze an angry person and anger is going to come out. You squeeze someone who's got the love of Christ in them and the love of Christ is going to come out. So here's one final thought. I don't know if you've ever considered that part of the reason for your anger is that you're expecting your spouse to meet some need that maybe God wants to meet in your life. You know, there's no person in the world who's ever met another person's total needs. And there are some needs in your life that only Jesus Christ can meet. And until those needs are met, then you will have a lot of those other feelings of being unappreciated, unacceptable, all those other things. And so 
I'd just like to just take a, a moment to pray over you as we close and as we open this series on, on marriage by looking at anger. Let's pray together. And while our heads are bowed in an attitude of prayer, I think if the truth were known, there are many of you today who are struggling with conflict and some of the pain that goes along with that conflict. It could be that some of you have been feeling unaccepted. Jesus accepts you and he loves you. Some of you have felt unappreciated. Jesus knows your value. Maybe you felt unsupported. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you felt unprotected. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you have maybe felt uncertain. Jesus says, come to me if you're tired and weary, and I will give you rest. And I just want to ask you to pray one simple prayer this morning, quietly where you're sitting. If you just quietly say this one sentence prayer, Jesus Christ, replace my anger with your love. And Father, may each of us here today have the attitude of Christ. Thank you that your love is greater than our anger and that when we're filled with your love, it actually changes us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.